the St. Vincent College Visiting Writer Series was supported in part by the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts, a state agency funded by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the National Endowment for the Arts, a federal agency. Well, thank you for coming. And thank you, Michelle and the people of St. Vincent for this great opportunity, the opportunity of sharing some points with you. Normally, I talk about my own points in Spanish, but tonight I will try to talk about them in English. Well, for me, it's a um, lucky situation, say, with Gary, my friend Gary. And I met Gary when we both live in New Brunswick, and we both live in the Hungarian quarter of New Brunswick. I live in a little street called Bayer Street, and when I opened the window of my apartment, I saw the Hungarian Presbyterian Church. And this church was connected with my house, no, not my house, my apartment, with a complicated system of cables, maybe electricity or telephone, I didn't know. But in the middle of the cable hang two pairs of shoes. And that pair of shoes was for me the reason for living in that apartment because I thought in that apartment lived the Bayer Street title walker. That was the first point that I wrote here in USA. I would read in Spanish. If you don't know Spanish, I hope you enjoy the rhythm. <laughs> El equilibrista de Bayard Street. Camina de puntas, el equilibrista de Bayard Street. Evita el abismo la mirada y arranca de cuajo toda pretensión. ¿De qué sirven el heroísmo, la grandeza, el entusiasmo? Poca cosa es la vida para el equilibrista de Bayard Street. Poca la indulgencia de llegar al otro lado y repetir cien veces la misma operación. Una mujer lo observa sin asombro. Tras la ventana, acaricia el cabello de sus hijos y turba con su canto los oídos del equilibrista de Bayard Street. Los vecinos lo ignoran, beben latas de cerveza, conversan hasta altas horas de la noche. ¿Quién repararía en tal inútil prodigio? Solo los niños señalan con el dedo al equilibrista de Bayard Street. Ellos lo admiran, contienen la respiración y aplauden hasta espantar a los gatos. Una iglesia presbiteriana es el orgullo de Bayard Street. Fue construida a principios de siglo y tiene torre y campanario. Fija la mirada, avanza hacia la iglesia, el equilibrista de Bayard Street. Su esposa ha preparado una pierna de pollo, ensalada de tomates y un plato de lentejas. Con suerte harán el amor esta noche y tendrán un instante de feroz alegría. Es muy joven la esposa del equilibrista de Bayard Street, es ella la encargada de tensar la cuerda 
la que mide la distancia entre la ventana y la torre, la que tiene rostro de heroína, de novela de amor. A nada le teme el equilibrista del Bayer Street, pero hace varias noches que no duerme. Dicen que soñó que sus zapatillas colgaban de la cuerda, mientras los niños esperaban que se despanzurrara de una vez el equilibrista de Bayer Street. I'm going to stand and read if that's okay. I think you can hear me, right? I hear me echoing here. Thank you. Okay. I'd just like to also thank Michelle for, for this lovely invitation. We've known Michelle for so long. And, and as Eduardo says, the people of St. Vincent College, make sure we don't miss anyone. And I'm not sure we had this kind of turnout when we, when we read at the America Society in New York. So we're very impressed with you. No extra credit, right? They're just coming back and saying, ah, we're very impressed. Thank you. Did, you. did you understand the bit with the shoes hanging over the wire? It's a, it's, it's a kind of a New York thing. If you, if you walk into somebody else's neighborhood, you're not supposed to be there. They beat you up, take your shoes, and throw it over the wire. Uh, yeah. This is uh, Eduardo's uh, Byard Street tightrope walk. What's interesting is that it's become, uh, in his 16 books of poetry, really his kind of his signature poem. Right? It's the one he's, he's almost most known for. And it's, it's interesting to remember, this is the first poem he actually wrote in the United States. The Byard Street tightrope walker. For Roxana and Jorge, who have seen them, the shoes. He proceeds on tippy toes, the Byard Street type rope walker, his gaze avoiding the abyss as he rips out all pretension by the roots. What good are heroism, grandeur, enthusiasm to him? He holds life cheap, the Byard Street type rope walker, cheap the indulgence of reaching the other side and repeating the same operation a hundred times over. A woman watches him unimpressed strokes her children's hair through the window and troubles his ears with her song, the, the Byard Street tightrope walkers. The neighbors pay him no mind, drink in from beer cans and co conversing all hours of the night. Who'd bother to notice so useless a prodigy? Only the children point at the Byard Street tightrope walker, watching him in wonder, holding their breath and applauding until they scare the cats. A Presbyterian church is the pride of Byard Street. Constructed at the turn of the century, it has a steeple and a bell tower. He sets his sights and advances toward the church, the Byard Street tightrope walker. His wife has prepared him a chicken leg, tomato salad, and plate of lentils. With any luck, they'll make love tonight and enjoy a moment of fierce happiness. She's pretty young, the Byard Street tightrope walker's wife the one in charge of tensing the wire, the one who measures the distance between their window and the steeple, the one with the face of a heroine out of some romance novel. He fears nothing, the Byard Street type rope walker, although he hasn't slept well for several nights now. Uh, they say he dreamt his shoes were hanging from the wire while the children hoped he'd splatter his guts once and for all at the Byard Street type rope walker. I born in Lima, Lima, Peru. Lima is a very curious city because in Lima never rained. We have 100% by humidity. We have a lot of earthquakes. We have a lot of political problems, but in Lima never rained. When I came to USA and saw the rain, 
I said, wow. And all my friends, what happened? It's a normal rain. But for me, the rain is something literary. And this poem is entitled, The Rain, La Lluvia. Vengo de una ciudad donde jamás llueve, donde el cielo es, como dicen, color panza de burro, y el mar, una invisible telaraña que enreda y confunde el horizonte. Esta tarde llueve en New Brunswick y me he asomado a la ventana para contemplar otras lluvias. Aquella en Madrid, por ejemplo, donde el agua nos llegó hasta las rodillas y seguimos caminando, plaf, plaf, como si nada. O aquella que nos sorprendió en tumbes, con sus balsas y caimanes navegando un bosque de palmeras. ¿Qué decir del chaparrón que echó a perder la sepultura de Dante? Pero esa es una lluvia literaria, como decir que duró 40 días o que llora suavemente en mi corazón, que no es verdad. Es otra la lluvia que recuerdo. Fue hace muchos años. El agua salpicaba la tierra y formaba un barro azul y misterioso. Era el silencio que me enseñaba sus metáforas, su laborioso lenguaje deshaciéndose una vez más entre las piedras. I, I think this poem and the next one uh, are good examples of what Michelle was saying earlier that how Eduardo tries to eschew kind of cliched poetic language and kind of falls back into a simple lyricism. I think you'll catch this, the voice here, the, the speaker catching himself when he gets a little bit too poetic and pulling back and maybe you'll listen for that. The rain. I come from a city where it never rains where the sky is, as they say, donkey belly gray, and the sea an invisible spiderweb enmeshing and blurring the horizon. It's raining this afternoon in New Brunswick, and I've leaned out the window to contemplate other episodes of rain, like the one in Madrid, for example, where the water came up to our knees and we splish-splashed along as if it were nothing or that one that caught us off guard in Tumbes with its rafts and caimans navigating through a palm tree forest. And, and what's there to say about the downpour that destroyed Dante's tomb? Uh, but that's literary rain, uh, like saying it lasted 40 days or that it cries softly in my heart, which isn't true. It's a different rain, I remember. Many years ago, the water sprinkled the earth and formed a blue, mysterious mud That was silence teaching me its metaphors, its laborious language once again smashing into pieces on the rocks. In the poem terrain, I mentioned Dante. Since I was 20 years old, I love Dante. And this poem is entitled Poet's House, and the, and the poet is Dante. En aquel viejo escritorio escribió Dante la comedia. Por aquí anduvo, atizando las chispas del infierno, buscando en la despensa qué comer, mientras enhebraba un terceto. Yo lloré en la casa de Dante. Fue el día que Firenze derrotó 1-0 a Juventus. El sol doraba las colinas, 
y las aguas del Arno corrían sin saberlo bajo el puente. Un viejito que vendía souvenir nos dijo, en voz muy baja, que Dante jamás había pisado esa casa y quedé discretamente avergonzado. Poet's House. There, at that old desk, Dante wrote his divine comedy. This is where he used to walk, stoking the fires of the inferno, looking for something to eat in his pantry while he threaded her set together. I cried in Dante's house. It was the day Firenze beat Juventus one nothing. The sun bathed the hills in golden light and waters of the Arno flowed unwittingly beneath the Ponte Vecchio. A little old man selling souvenirs told us in very hushed tones that Dante had never set foot in that house and at this I was mildly abashed. When my wife, Janine, and I moving to Missoula, Montana, the first thing was order all the books in the new library. And the poem is not about books. It's about the strange insects of the West that appear between the, the books. The name of the poem is Insects, Insectos. Mis nuevos vecinos son insectos. Imprudentes y torpes insectos que invaden lentamente nuestra privacidad. Parecen escarabajos, dice Yanin, pero les falta el color. O más bien cucarachas, si no fueran blandos y redondos. Esta mañana retorné uno al jardín y al rato volvió para instalarse entre los libros. Debía volver a perdonarlo. Ser insecto lo ponía en desventaja ante la muerte. Entonces clavó su aguijón en mi brazo y aplasté sin piedad su vida de insecto. Insects. My new neighbors are insects, unsightly, imprudent insects slowly invading our privacy. They look like beetles, Janine said, just not the right color. It could be roaches if they weren't so soft and round. This morning, I took one back to the garden, and in no time at all, it was at my books again. Should I have pardoned it a second time? Did being an insect place it at a disadvantage before death? Then it stuck its finger in my arm, and without mercy, I, I crushed out its insect life. <laughs> El color de los atardeceres. Atardecer naranja, con sus nubes raídas y su sol que alumbra todas las palabras. Una gasolinera exhibe un dinosaurio, aquí hubo dinosaurios, y una pradera inacabable. ¿Dónde aprendí todo eso? Descartemos las nubes, son siempre las mismas. Descartemos el sol, presa fácil de todas las metáforas. Nos queda la naranja. Algunos dicen que vino de la India, donde era alimento de los dioses. Otros, que vino de Persia o de Arabia, igual que el nombre y su color. Virgilio la llamó Aurea Mala y la dejó caer en una égloga. Colón la tuvo entre sus dedos, 
Por ella, descubrió que el mundo era redondo y que viajando hacia el poniente, llegaría, como el sol, hacia el levante. Ahora estamos solos, yo y la naranja. Cuesta siglos decir atardecer naranja. The color of nightfall. Orange nightfall with its fraying clouds and sun illuminating every word. A gas station's logo shows a dinosaur. There used to be dinosaurs here and an endless plain. Where did I learn all this? Uh, let's put aside the clouds for now. They're always the same. And let's put aside the sun, which is an easy prey for metaphor. That leaves us with the orange. Some say the orange came from India, where it was food for the gods. Others, that it came from Persia or Arabia, along with its name and its color. Virgil called it Aurea Mala and dropped one into an eclogue. From holding one in his hands, Columbus discovered that the world was round, that by traveling toward the west, he would, like the sun, reach the east. Now we are alone, the orange and I. It has taken centuries to say orange nightfall. The house of the Lord, la casa del Señor. Me pone un poco nervioso leer este poema en un, en un monasterio. <risa> la casa del Señor no tiene baños, solo una gran sala, con suerte un comedor y bancas donde es menester arrodillarse. Son altos los techos en la casa del Señor. Allí vuelan ángeles entre nubes de cristal y hay nidos de gorriones. El Señor ama los gorriones y manchas que nunca se limpian. La casa del Señor no tiene cuartos, solo retratos de familia y algunos parientes que lloran y se exhiben tras las velas. Los mercaderes no entran en la casa del Señor. Él nunca los recibe, tampoco los gatos que se comen los gorriones. Los demás son siempre bienvenidos a la casa del Señor. Todos cantan en la casa del Señor y miran hacia abajo en busca de consuelo. The house of the Lord. The house of the Lord has no toilets. Just a spacious parlor, a dining room with luck and pews where you have to kneel. Ceilings are high in the house of the Lord, up where angels fly among the crystal clouds and where there are sparrow nests, the Lord loves sparrows, and stains that are never cleaned. The house of the Lord has no room, only family portraits and pictures of relatives who weep and display themselves behind the candles. Merchants don't enter the house of the Lord, he, he never lets them in. Cats either, they, they gobble up the sparrows. Everyone else is welcome in the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord, everyone sings with eyes cast down in search of consolation. Of everybody, I have a lot of problems. <laughs> But one of my big problems was I, I, I use including A because my audition is complicated. For that reason in my life, 
I complete all the sentence as a blank sentence. I complete, I fill every sentence with imagination in Spanish and English, and I can control my life in that way. This poem is entitled Ears, Oídos. Mis oídos son mi fuerza. Sin ellos, escucharía absolutamente todo. El zumbido de las moscas, el crujido de la arena, las notas del timbal. Ellos escuchan por mí. Transforman la palabra en otros universos. La basura en ritmo. Los murmullos en frases locas que me hacen reír y reír. Ellos me protegen. La maldad del mundo se estrella en su burbuja, se deshace a mis pies y le digo, yo te conozco, ven cuando quieras, y le escucho con los oídos bien abiertos. Tell the creative writers and hear a little story about this poem. This is the second half of a poem called The Body's House. The first half is Scars. And a very famous editor and a very prominent journal wrote me back and said, I kind of like that poem, but the second half is, is schizophrenic. And I said, I wrote back, I said, you know, Eduardo is hearing him, and then all the dialogue stopped. Uh, but this is ears. My ears are my strength. Without them, I would hear absolutely everything. The buzzing of flies, the crunching of sand, the music of kettle drums. They do my listening for me, transforming words into other universes, garbage into rhythms, and whispers into silly phrases that make me laugh and laugh. My ears protect me. All the evil in the world smacks against their bubble and shatters at my feet so I can say, I, I know you, come by whenever you like. Listening to it, ears wide open. Okapi, herido de muerte. I don't know if you know the Okapi. Okapi. The Okapi is a pretty strange animal, a mixing of giraffe and zebra. Well, this is the poem, Okapi herido de muerte. Desde hace años me persigue ese título, Okapi herido de muerte. Debo haberlo leído de niño, ojeando las páginas de un álbum o las figuras de un libro de animales. Guardo conmigo la escena el zarpazo felino, un fondo de acacias y el terror de la víctima tratando de huir inútilmente. Raro animal de Locapi, indeciso entre cebra y jirafa, temeroso y nocturno, en peligro de extinción. Cuando fui a verlo al zoo de Berlín, se acercó desde la página remota y me dijo en secreto, aún estoy herido de muerte. <coughs> Mortally Wounded Okapi. For years now, I've been hounded by the title Mortally Wounded Okapi. I must have read it somewhere as a kid, flipping through the pages of an album or, or the illustrations of an animal book. I can still picture the scene, the swipe of the cat's claw, a backdrop of acacia trees, and the terror of the victim trying to escape to no avail. Strange animal, the okapi. Not quite zebra, not quite giraffe, timorous and nocturnal, an endangered species. 
When I went to see one at the Berlin Zoo, it approached me off that faraway page and said, so that no one else could hear it, I'm still mortally wounded. Perdidas. Este poema está dedicado a Carrie. Perdidas. He perdido un perro pastor que nunca tuve. He perdido la fe con que cantaba. He perdido a Dios como el árbol. He perdido también algunas hojas. No sé dónde se habrán ido. En solo una mañana he perdido el sol y la luz y las colinas de su reino. He perdido un lapicero. Yo nunca escribo a mano. Lo sabe el perro. Lo sabe Dios. Lo saben las hojas y el sol. Lo saben también la luz y las colinas. He perdido a la mañana por escribir este poema. As Michelle said, Eduardo has at least 16 books of poetry, occasional pieces, criticism, children's literature, and this is the poem that he dedicates to me. I don't know why. It's called Losses. I've lost a German shepherd, a dog I never owned. I've lost the faith with which I sang. I've lost God. Like a tree, I've also lost some leaves and don't know where they could have gone. In a single morning, I've lost the sun and the light and the hills of his kingdom. I've lost the fountain pen. I write by hand. The dog knows this. God knows it. The leaves and the sun know it. The light and the hills know it, too. I've lost this morning writing this poem. Para llegar a Misula que es la ciudad donde vivo ya hace 10 años. Hace algunos años leí un poema de Bly sobre Misula. Todavía lo recuerdo. Hablaba de un tren, tal vez la vieja ruta del Pacífico, en una mañana de invierno. Los durmientes habían dejado atrás las sombras y el cristal, surcado por la nieve, dejaba entrever el perfil de las montañas. Era necesaria la nieve para llegar a Misula, para cruzar la puerta del infierno, como antiguamente la llamaban los colonos. Nosotros llegamos una tarde de verano en automóvil y hacía mucho sol. ¿Por qué nos perseguía el frío del poema? Para llegar a Misula era necesaria un tren y una ventana escarchada y algo de nieve. To reach Missoula. Years ago, I read a poem by Robert Bly about Missoula. I can still remember a telling of a train, maybe from the old Pacific line, that was traveling on a winter morning. The sleepers had left the darkness behind, and the window, marked with the soft dusting of snow, let in glimpses of the contours of the mountains. You used to need snow to reach Missoula to pass through Hellgate, as the settlers called it in days gone by. We arrived here by car on a summer afternoon. It was really sunny out. So why did the chill of the poem pursue us? To reach Missoula, you used to need a train, a frost-covered window, and at least light snow. Okay, fine.
This poem is about my father. El regalo. The gift. Un día, mi padre llegó del trabajo y me dijo, esto es para ti. Y, y sin decir más, lo dejó sobre la mesa. Tenía solo nueve años. ¿Qué interés podría despertarme un libro como ese? Se llamaba Pequeño Larús, pero era gordo. Me gustaba ver las banderitas de colores, los mapas de países que la historia ha borrado, las figuras de plantas y animales. Aquí los mamíferos, aquí los insectos, aquí las aves salvajes y las aves de corral. El mundo entero cabía en ese libro. Las páginas rojas estaban en latín y las blancas en aquellas que era menester para la vida. No sé dónde estará ese diccionario, pero fue el regalo que me hizo mi padre. Todas las noches me acuerdo de él. The gift. One day my father came home from work and said, here, this is for you. And without another word, left the thing on the table. I was only nine years old. What possible interest could a book like that hold for me? It was called the Pequeño Larousse, but it was thick. I like looking at the colored flags, the maps of country history has erased, the pictures of plants and animals. Here are the mammals, here are the insects, here are the wild birds and fowl. The whole world fit into that book. The red pages were in Latin and the white ones in the language we needed for everyday life. I can't imagine where that dictionary is now, but it was a gift from my father. I think of them every night. Well, um, everybody knows the story of Noah's Ark. I love the story of Noah's Ark, but I wonder all the time what happened with the, the animals as the sirens, the unicorn, the Pegasus, maybe all the strange animals knocked the door of the Ark and Noah said, no, you are known because you are monsters, you are missing of another animal. You will have another opportunity in another diluvio, como se dice, the flood. Yeah. Well, this poem is about that animal, but it's related with San Eustachio, the patron of the hunters. Atanasio y el Arca, or La Conversión de San Eustachio. This poem has ten parts. I read every part numbered. One. En estas ruinas, Cristo Jesús se apareció a San Eustachio. Plácido le dijo, ¿podrías decir un trabalenguas? El obispo de Constantinopla me ordenó construir este santuario. Nada queda en pie. Solo un árbol seco, algunas piedras y una inscripción. Noviembre de 1680. Ahora lo sabes. ¿Qué más quieres de mí? Quiero un poema que hable del diluvio, las aguas que arrasaron la sepultura de Dante. Apenas lo recuerdo. En estas ruinas he olvidado mis despojos. En esta ruina... He olvidado mi nombre. Dos. Esta noche iremos al lugar donde callaron tus perros. Dirás una pregaria, entrada lenguas que habla de los tigres. Me gustan los tigres. Los he visto en el palacio de Mogor. Parecen gatos, ligeros y veloces cuando aprieta el hambre. 
indolentes y vagos y se encuentran satisfechos. En China los consideran peligrosos, sus bocas despiden un veneno irrespirable, sus pieles arruinan toda perfección. 3. Ya veo, te gusta hablar de animales. Hablemos entonces del perro de Bubastis, del chivo Mendecio. Hablemos, si quieres, del trajelajo, hijo del macho cabrío con la sierva. Tiene los cuernos azules de su madre, el olor hediondo de su padre. Aristóteles habló del cruce del potro salvaje y la gacela, pero jamás lo vio, como tampoco vio al bastardo del mono con la zorra, que tiene pies humanos y orejas de murciélago, y al cruce de hienan con león que llaman leocrota. Ninguno conserva su nombre, ninguno tuvo lugar en el arca. 4. Tu Dios era un siervo, lo perseguía con saña, cazarlo era el sentido de mi vida, la razón de mi nombre. He olvidado mi nombre, hay cosas que no puedo comprender. En Malta, Vi un animal monstruoso, mezcla de cuadrúpedo con ave. Tenía cuello de jirafa, joroba de camello. Tenía alas inútiles de pájaro. Dicen que es glotona, que habita los desiertos, que oculta sus huevos en la arena y después los abandona. Hay cosas que no puedo comprender. En Job está escrito, ese monstruo tuvo lugar en el arca. 5. Hace tiempo quería preguntarte por tu nombre. No tengo ningún nombre. El que tenía lo olvidé hace siglos. Si quieres saber, pregúntale a la luna. Cada noche viene a visitarme. Deja en mi boca su escarcha, su oscuro resplandor. Entonces te llamas Isidoro, me dijo. ¿Dónde Isis? Hijo de nadie. Regalo de la divinidad. 6. Un ejército de ángeles ensaya la expulsión del paraíso. Uno porta en sus manos el omega, otro una A mayúscula, la dorada serpiente que muerde su cola, y en el centro, el rostro de Dios Padre, su ojo infalible que todo lo vigila. ¿Y tú qué ves? Veo naves incendiadas, a lo lejos un palacio de cristal, la columna de hielo que maravilló a Brendano, inscripciones en una lengua extraña, nidos de sirenas veo, peces ahogados de color naranja. Por entretenerme, manoteo un moscardón, bebo un vaso de agua, repito de memoria los nombres. En árabe llaman cefet a la resina, la palabra hebrea para cedro es gofer, el betún era petróleo. Dioscórides lo explica, en Sodoma florecen torres de petróleo, también en Babilonia, en las riberas oscuras del pan muerto. Los soldados bombardean Beirut esta noche. El humo oscurece la vista, destruye las paredes del arca. 8. Mañana irás conmigo al observatorio. Veremos juntos las estrellas. Ya sabes, Io, Ganímedes, Calisto. Luego bajaremos de la mano. Una vez más me contarás la historia. 9. Cuando acorralé al ciervo, dio un gran salto. La tierra tembló. Las aves huyeron espantadas, los perros dejaron de ladrar. Así apareció Cristo Jesús, brillaba entre los cuernos, apenas podía ver. Tan fuerte era el resplandor, me dijo, Plácido, ¿por qué me persigues? No supe responder, 
Mi nombre es Eustaquio, patrón de cazadores, protector de tempestades y tormentas. Y diez, los que nunca ingresaron al arca, los que restregaron sus lomos en la puerta, los que perdieron sus nombres cuando la lluvia arreciaba, los que vieron de cerca el rostro oculto de la desesperación, todavía existen, pueblan los bestiarios, recorren oscuros laberintos, habitan el miedo y la fantasía de los hombres. Atanasio los registre, San Eustaquio los proteja, Dios los tenga en su gloria. Muchas gracias. Thank you. This is our last poem tonight. It comes from this, this 15th uh, volume of, of Eduardo, The Smoke of Distant Fires. And as you were saying, each of the 13 poems, I think, has 10 stanzas. They're all lowercase. There's almost no punctuation. Very difficult to translate. Sometimes a line will end on a word like there, which will be both the, the locational and also the next line will start with are, there, are, you know. So the enjambment is, is difficult. I usually promise Eduardo that we, we, don't, we won't explain poems, but I do want to say a word about this. There are at least two, two currents running through it. Its title is Athanasius and the Ark, or the Conversion of St. Eustace. And when I looked up Athanasius, I went to NYU Library, I found one book on him. It's a biography. It was called Athanasius Kirchner, The Last Man to Know Everything. I mean, he was a, a Jesuit from the 15 or 1600s, I think. And he, he wrote a book, uh, the, the uh, epigraph is from a book, Noah's Ark, it's never been translated, Ark of Noe, in which he purported to tell where each animal was and what the ark looked like, and he wrote all these kind of uh, casuistic, sophistic books. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll read the epigraph, it's very funny because the, uh, the, the epigraph in some ways doesn't make any sense, and you'll, you'll, you'll see, uh, it's in my translation, and I hope it's not for that reason, right? And, St. Eustace is this Roman uh, hunter, Placidus, who sees uh, the crucified Christ be between a stag's antlers and converts and changes his name to St. Eustace. And what I think the poem is really about is about naming. What happens when you convert and you change your name? What happens to the name of the animals who don't make it onto the ark? And you'll see Eduardo, I think, playing with names, the sounds of names, the moons of Jupiter, there's an etymology in there of Isidore. And... Uh, If there are no names, there are no words, and if there's no words, there's no poetry. And I think that fear runs through this poem. So we have a, this strange title. We'll end tonight with Athanasius and the Ark, or the Conversion of St. Eustace. And here's the epigraph from Kirshner from Noah's Ark, Ark of Noe. When God brought all the animals before Adam so he might give them names, this did not entail all the animals which over the course of time came to populate the earth, but only those that... God had created up to then, not the ones that were to appear in later ages to which there was no need to give names. <clears throat> One. Amid these ruins, Christ Jesus appeared to St. Eustace. Placidus, he said, can you tell me a tongue twister? The Bishop of Constantinople ordered me to erect this sanctuary. Nothing remains standing, only a dry tree, some rocks, and an inscription. November, Anno Domini, 1680. Now you know, what more do you want from me? I, I want a poem that tells of the flood, the waters that washed Dante's tomb away. I can hardly remember him amid these ruins. I have forgotten my plunder. Amid these ruins, I have abandoned my name. Two. 
Tonight we'll go to the spot where your dogs fell silent and you'll say a prayer. That, that tongue twister about the tigers. I like tigers. I saw them once in the Mughal palace. Lithe and lissom cats when hunger gnaws at them. More like indolent and lazy beasts when well fed in China. They're considered dangerous with mouths that spew a venom deadly to breathe. Their pelts annulling all perfection. Three. I see you like to talk about animals. Let's talk about the dog from Bubastis, the Mendesian goat. Let's talk, if you like, about the tragalaf, the offspring of a billy goat and doe. It has its dam's blue horns and sire's foul stench. Aristotle spoke about the cross between a wild colt and gazelle, but never saw one himself, like he never saw the mixed-breed monkey and fox with its human face and bat's ears, or the cross between a hyena and a lion they call the Leocrota. Not a one has kept its name. Not a one found a place on the ark. Four. Your God was a stag I pursued with a vengeance. Hunting it down and persecuting it was the meaning of my life, the reason for my name. I've forgotten my name. There are things I just can't understand. In Malta, I saw a monstrous animal once, a mix of quadruped and fowl, with a giraffe's neck and camel's hump and a bird's wing, though these were useless. It's ravenous, they say, and lives in the desert, hiding its eggs in the sand, then abandoning them there. There are things I just can't understand. In Job, it is written that this monster found a place on the ark. Was it an ostrich? It is, in fact, mentioned in Job. Five. I've been mean to ask your name for some time now. I don't have a name. The one I had I forgot centuries ago. You'd like to know it? Ask the moon that comes to visit me each night, leaving behind its hoarfrost and dark resplendence in my mouth. You must be Isidore, he said, a present from Isis, no one's child, a gift from God on high. Six. A host of angels rehearses the expulsion from paradise. One carries the omega in its hand, the other a capital A, the, Gilbert, the gilded serpent biting its tail in the center of the face of God, the Father with his infallible eye watching all, and you, what do you need? I see ships on fire and in the distance a crystal palace, the pillar of ice that instilled such wonder in Brendan, inscriptions written in a strange tongue, sirens nests I see drowned. Orange-colored fish. Seven. I swat at a fly to while away the time, drink a glass of water, repeat from memory the names of things in Arabic. They call resin zephet. The Hebrew word for cedar is gopher. Bitumen was petroleum. Dioscorides explains it. In Sodom, petroleum powers flourished too. In Babylon, on the dark shores of the Dead Sea, the foreign soldiers shell Beirut tonight. The smoke dims the views, destroys the walls of the ark. Eight. Tomorrow you'll go with me to the observatory and we'll gaze at the stars together to know Io, Ganymede, Callisto, then descend hand in hand and you'll tell me the story again. Nine. When I cornered the stag, it leapt high in the air and the earth shook. The birds flew away in fright and the dogs stopped barking. That's when Christ Jesus appeared 
shining so radiantly between his horns, I, I could hardly see so great was his resplendence. Placidus, he asked, why do you persecute me? I, I didn't know what to tell him. My name is Eustace, the patron saint of hunters, protector from tempests and storms. Ten. The ones that never entered the ark, those that rubbed their backs on the door, the ones that lost their names forever once the rain beat down, and those that viewed up close the hidden face of desperation, still populate, still exist, populating the bestiaries, ranging through dark labyrinths, inhabiting the fears and fantasies of humankind. May Athanasius record them all. St. Eustace keep them. And God receives them in his glory. Thanks. Okay, I understand. Um, to me, it's very difficult to establish a difference between the high culture and the popular culture. Because for my own formation, because of my family, to me, the possibility of bearing or mixing the high culture with the popular culture is not a problem. No, it's the, for me, it's absolutely the same. I'm very disorganized read, reader. No, in my my in my bed, I have a lot of books, and I enjoy Popeye in the same way that I enjoy a book about biology or a book about theology or literature. And I don't know if it's a good answer, but my Personality is organized in that way. No? Happily, my parents had no uh, organized library in home. <coughs> no? My father was a military man. My mom never finished the school because she wanted to marry with my, with my father. For that reason, uh, the first library in my house was by, by me. No? And my father never forbidden Batman, Popeye, the little Lulu, I enjoyed that. I remember when I was eight years, my mom asked me, what do you want for Christmas? I want an encyclopedia of eight volumes. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? Are you, are you sure that you want that? Yes, mom. 
for my parents, I was a kind of merchant, and I enjoyed that. <laughs> and I enjoyed that. I think if I maintain the condition of merchant in my life, I think it's good. <laughs> You know, when we were reading at, at the America Society, Eduardo answered, a, a, it was a different question. It, one of his poems quotes Neruda, and, and it was, quotes him sort of ironically. And, and the question was, don't you like Neruda? And, and I, Eduardo, was, I remember his answer. He said, you know, when you're a poet, a contemporary poet, you have a kind of a soundtrack playing through your mind. It's the greatest hits of poetry. And that's already been done. And you, you can't do it again, and you have to find a way around that, not to be Neruda or the Golden Age poets. And I think what you see, you, you heard it, I think, in Poets House and others, as soon as the language started to get a little bit high, uh, there, there was a withdrawal or, or a correction, uh, almost a coming back to earth. Huh? Conflicto entre nosotros. Un conflicto? Yeah. I love him. <laughs> you said once in the same poem we disagreed about two words. I forget what, what, what the words were. Oh, one was the river, the Rimac River. Yeah. Yeah, in El Valle del Rimac. I guess to a Peruvian you would know that's the Rimac Valley. But what's the Rimac? Well, so I explicitated, I put in the Rimac. River Valley, and I thought on top of that, it sounds like Red River Valley, and you know, it has a little bit of an English echo. He said, No, we don't need the river. And I said, I don't know if Rimac Valley, I like it. And then something else was in that poem. But, but the opposite happens too, because, for example, in Spanish, I can say, Vaquero, cowboy from the West. No? Yeah. Vaquero from the West. Where are cowboys from? I can't put cowboy from the West, right? <laughs> So we took out from the West, right? And he but said, in Spanish, it's a, it's a fixed, phrase. Phrase, it's a fixed yeah. phrase, yeah. That was in, in the, in, from the West. Well, in the beginning, we worked, we worked the translation with my wife, because my wife uh, has a very good English, and she knows me perfectly, and the knowledge of the translation of him, and I know my own poems. And we work in three person with thick hands and one very beautiful word. And you know, uh, until last year when we went on our tour, I don't think we'd seen each other for 10 years. Mm -hmm. seen, literally seen each other. I mean, we had been translating the, these works by email and going back and forth. And you know, luckily Ed, Ed Waters is a good emailer and he, he cares about his work. And uh, we're, we're able to go through the, the work pretty meticulously. Huh? Do you remember the bird? Lennon McCartney, Jagger Richard, Paul Simon and Garfunkel? Conversational to poesy. Yeah. Huh? Are you is the conversation with other poets? Yeah. It's a very interesting question because in Peru the previous tradition that I know when I was 18, 18 years old was the conversationalism. Yeah, yeah conversationalism, yeah. Yeah, but in my case, 
I, I love the possibility of have a conversation. Elio talk about the music of the conversation, no? But all the time I feel I have a conversation with myself. I don't know if the word works in English, the word diversion. Diversion? No. Yeah, like amusement or entertainment or... Yeah, I have a lot of diversion. In Spanish, diversion is to make fun. But in Spanish, if you read carefully the word, diversion is double version of something or someone. When I write, I feel another person with me, and I love to talk with him. Uh, I am a very quiet person. For that reason, I write. And every, and every word that I write, I feel a kind of conversation. When a high culture, with another person, with the animals, for example, with the popular culture, with Popeye or Batman or Dante Alighieri or Athanasius Kirchner, and it is very funny too. <laughs> I guess an earlier manifestation from Eduardo is the taking on of a poetic persona. I mean, he yeah. writes as Cassandra, as Teresias, and there's a whole book he has called Songs of the, the, the Blacksmith's Ark. Yeah. Uh, Arch, Ark's Blacksmith, song, Songs of the Ark's Blacksmith, in which he speaks in this fictional guise of the blacksmith on the Ark. Uh, and I think that becomes, in, in the smoke of distant fires, this kind of polyvocal or multilingual. You, you heard me reading it, I meant to tell you. I don't mean to read it as, you know, affectedly, but I feel like I have to read it kind of staccato, because I, I don't know when one voice stops and another is be beginning and I, I feel I feel like I you know I don't want to mark the book up every you know pause here pause here and I, I find myself reading amid these ruins the, 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 amid these ruins you don't quite know who's talking who's changing and there is that at least two people talking two voices going on in in those poems sometimes three yeah Thank you all. Um,